Girlfriends, episode number 45. Every mom is a working mom. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom, and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. So what are we waiting for? Let's get started. Hey, girlfriends. How are you? I'm glad you're here for another episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. How has your week been? I hope it's been a good week for you. Here in New Hampshire, it's freezing. Thank you very much. Uh, It was 26 degrees this morning when I drove the kids into school. Still early in the morning. I'm recording early on Monday morning before the rest of my kids are up and ready for their day here. Um, So it's still pretty quiet except for the other kids, which are the dogs, which are always making noise downstairs. I don't know. It's so funny to me because I used to make fun of people who treated their dogs like kids. And that's how I've started to think of them. Of course, they're animals. They're not human beings. They're not actually my children. But a lot of the challenges are similar. (laughs) Similar challenges with regard to caring for dogs and caring for toddler humans. Anyway, like I said, it's freezing. I don't know if you live in a warm part of the country, but this is when I start to envy that because the fall is beautiful here in New England. I love the fall. I love the crisp, clear fall days and the sunshine. But then in November, it starts to get dark and it gets dark early. We had the time change this weekend. Not the, well, actually, it is supposedly the good one where you gain an hour, but. That I don't care so much about. I care that at, you know, 3.35 in the afternoon, it's like nighttime. It's starting to get dark out there. So uh, your whole body just, uh, I don't know. I think you really, we human beings are really in tune um, with the amount of daylight we get. And it affects how we feel. It affects what we want to do. It affects how active we are. At least I know it does for me, for sure. Like, I don't want to do anything. If it's getting dark out, it's like, time for bed, everybody, at 3.35 in the afternoon. Not really, but that's your inclination. And um, I've already done a few treadmill workouts this year. I made that transition. Not completely. I'm still going outside for runs. Sometimes, if it's warm enough, if I don't have to put on 17 layers before I head out there, But for the most part, I'm starting to adjust my brain to the fact that I'm going to be running indoors, which I don't like. It's so boring. Do you do it? Do you do treadmill runs? I try to mix it up. And um, if you are, what do you call it on Pinterest? Following me on Pinterest? I don't know. I'm not really good at Pinterest, but I do keep my I kind of pin my workouts there so that I'll have them there. So if you're interested in some treadmill interval workouts, which make life a little more interesting on the treadmill, it's like adjusting the speed and whatnot. I find that makes the time go by quicker rather than just staring at the numbers, hoping they move more quickly and they just don't seem to. Um, and, And a funny thing about treadmill running is that I think it's harder than running outside. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I think I don't know. I feel like I'm going really fast, you know, if I set the treadmill on like six, which of course is like 10 minute miles, which is not very fast. And not that I care much about speed, but it's a little frustrating to me to, but that's part of the adjustment I have to make psychologically. For whatever reason, I find it harder to run and I just have to be okay with what my pace is. Anyway, um, let me know how you're doing with keeping up your fitness uh, as you transition into these winter months. It's always a little bit more challenging, kind of got to adjust your expectations a little bit. Uh, But I find it's really important for me anyway, to keep it up to keep um, on top of my activity during this time of year. Because like I said, my inclination is to hibernate, go to bed, just wrap a blanket around me and eat. Like... (laughs) I don't know about you, but I think it's some sort of hibernation inclination that I have where I'm like, I don't want to just eat. I want to eat like creamy, sauced casseroles with pasta and mashed potatoes. And I just have that inclination this time of year. And I've made some of those recipes. So I need to be um, on top of staying active. Speaking of staying active, we did something a little fun this weekend, Dan and I did, that um, we were looking at the schedule uh, a week ago for this coming well, it's this past now weekend. And on Saturday, there was nothing. 
I mean, it was crazy. Like there was nothing that we had to do. So we both were like, okay, let's do something. And um, I'm really blessed because my husband is a planner. He loves to plan trips. TripAdvisor is like his favorite website. And he enjoys that kind of thing. And he does it even when we're not planning to go somewhere. He likes checking out places. So we decided we'd just not go anywhere far, just go to Boston for the day and one night, come back on Sunday just in time for flag football. And we did that. And it was so fun. You guys, if you have an opportunity to go away, even if it's just for part of a day, it doesn't have to be overnight. I know that's extra complicated with your husband. Do it. Do it. Make that little bit of extra effort. Even if your husband's not the planner, you plan it. You know, um, Dan and I didn't used to go places without the kids. Of course, during those crazy years where we had so many kids like under the age of eight and it was just, you know, those are the, those are the tough times. But um, let me, I don't know how long ago it was now that Dan just went ahead and planned a trip for us to be away overnight. And I did not want to go. I mean, I guess Danny was probably about three. So that would be about seven years ago at this point. And um, this is how crazy my husband is. He didn't just plan like, hey, let's start with like one overnight somewhere local. He was like, we're going to do five nights away in Grenada. Yeah. I mean, who does that? Grenada? Are you serious? I mean, I don't even know where that is or what it is or why we would go there. Um, But it's in the Caribbean. It's way down there. And uh, he insisted that we go when we hadn't been away in, I don't, you know, alone together in such a long time, except for, you know, just like an evening out or whatever. And that was really hard for me to adjust to the idea of doing that. Um, our, our kids had good places to go. People were, were generous. And um, my father-in-law and my mom, I can't remember if we used anybody else for that time. But anyway, people were very willing to help out in that way to make it possible for us to go. And I resisted and resisted and I was upset about it and I was so nervous about it. I mean, you know, intellectually I could accept, okay, Danny doesn't need me. He's not nursing or anything like that. And he's fine. You know, he's old enough to have fun with his siblings and whatever. But still, it was really hard for me to accept that. And we went. And you know what? That was a really, I mean, I still look back on that and I think that was a turning point in our marriage that was good. Not like our marriage was in trouble or anything. It wasn't like Dan was doing some major intervention or something, but we weren't making us a priority. And honestly, it took like two full days of us being there alone together without much on our agenda than, you know, just sitting on a beach and we had this lovely little kind of cabin and it was right there on the beach. It was just a beautiful place. And we had beautiful places to explore and fun things that we could do during the day, but nothing that was like a pressing agenda. And it just, it really took like two full days to even feel like we were us again, like to peel off all those layers of the stuff, the roles we had assumed at home. And I found that, you know, of course not perfectly, but we didn't go back from that after that. Like something shifted in a way I wouldn't have said we needed any kind of help, any kind of intervention or anything. Like life was good. Our marriage was good. But that was so good for us and so important. So if you're resisting that idea, if um, your husband is at all open to the idea of going away, if you can pull it off in some kind of way, even for a short trip, you don't have to go to Grenada for five nights. You don't have to do that. Trust me. Um, But (laughs) something along those lines, something that even just pushes your comfort a little bit, I really recommend doing it. It's so important for couples. And I really feel like I'm so grateful to my husband for forcing me, pushing me through that. And yeah, by the end of it, I was desperate to come home. Like that last night was really hard for me, but it was really good for us. So anyway, I don't know how I started. Oh, because we went away. <laughs> we went away and this past weekend um, to Boston just for one night. We had fun. We walked around, we shopped. I bought Christmas presents. Yes, first Christmas shopping of the season. I'm not one of those early shoppers, but it was fun to do. And then we went to Chinatown for dinner and that was so fun. It's just fun to kind of reconnect and, you know, maybe explore a new place together, try new things, meet new people. And we had a blast doing that and then came home in time for flag football and we're right back in it. Here we are another week. But um, I find doing little things like that is really important and really helpful. And you know what? If your marriage is struggling at all, if you feel even just distant, you know, I have a girlfriend who who planned a trip like this, not because she was having difficulty in her marriage, but just she felt like 
they were kind of living separate lives and they needed a reminder that they're a couple first. And, you know, your marriage is what your whole family life is built on. That Make it a rock. Make it solid. Make it the priority it's supposed to be. Okay, but that's not my topic. <laughs> I just started talking about that. But the topic today, we're talking about every mom is a working mom. I just, I, I know I mentioned a few episodes back about, I wanted to talk about this topic. I want to talk about working women, working moms, that whole thing of being a stay-at-home mom or a working mom or a work-at-home mom or how do you identify yourself? Because you know what? I think it's important how we think about ourselves with regard to this, because for me, for sure, it's something I've been uncomfortable with, very uncomfortable with at various times in my life, you know, on all sides of it. And I've been all the things I've been, uh, you know, the stay at home mom, I've been the working mom. Um, so just to share with you a little bit of my history here, um, going back when we first had kids, Dan and I were barely married and got pregnant on our honeymoon. So having a baby right away when that was not exactly what our plan was because Dan was still in school. He was finishing his master's in education. And I was the one who was working full time. I was the one who had health insurance and we saw no way around it. I needed to continue working. So I had a very brief I can't remember now if it was six or eight weeks, how sad and pathetic maternity leave. And then I was back to work full time. Which, you know, I didn't hate my job or anything, but boy, did I hate my job after I was a mom. I really hated it. I resented it. I resented the hours I had to be away from her. I had such conflict, such guilt. I, you know, she was in great hands with my mom during the days. My mom was very generous to help us out with childcare in that way. And, you know, she formed an attachment with my mom and with my, my sister, who, my younger sister, who was still living at home then. That was all really positive stuff, but for me, it was such a negative. It was so hard. It was such a hard year, but we did it. And, um, you know, there was a lot of struggle there with regard to my own identity because all I wanted to do was be a mom. And yet, here's the circumstance that life was offering me. And I look back on it now and I, I think that was so hard. It wasn't at all what I would have chosen. And again, if I could go back and switch it, I probably would. But a lot of good came out of it. It made me really examine, you know, who I wanted to be and um, who we were going to be as a family, what our priorities were, really kind of shift our mentality rather than if I had just been at home with her, I probably would have found ways to resent that. I would have found ways to feel, you know, put upon by that or like I was missing out on some other part of life because of that. Because, you know, then by the time we had our second, um, Dan was done with school, working full time, and I was going to stay home. And so I did that side of things. And that was so challenging in ways that, especially because I was throwing myself into it, like, this is finally what I'm meant to do and how I want to be. And that was really challenging. It was really isolating. It was very difficult to stay home with these two little tiny kids. And in a way that I hadn't anticipated. So I think a lot of our identity is wrapped up in these things, these ideas of us being a stay-at-home mom or being a working mom. And some of it is built up, I think, by the media, this kind of, the I don't know why the stupid media, I guess because it sells magazines or newspapers or clicks on websites. They love to pit women against each other. You know, think of all those different headlines you've seen over the years about working moms versus stay-at-home moms, the mommy wars and um, what's, you know, and and we are all, I think, vulnerable to that idea of our way is the best way, my way is the best way, and wanting to, out of a sense of our own insecurity, especially I think early on with regard to our parenting decisions, I think we tend to want to make a blanket statement like, this is the only one right way to raise a family. This is the only one right way to be a mom. This is how you are a Catholic family. You know, putting those kind of labels on things in a way that's very harmful to our relationships, but also to ourselves, because guess what? Here's the next point I want to make. Your situation might change. Never say never. You know, you might be an at-home mom and convinced it's 100% the right thing for you and for everyone forever. And something might happen that ends up pulling you out of the home for work or, um, you know, your, your life circumstances might change in a way you never anticipated. And all of a sudden, you're one of those working moms that you had, had labeled as evil or whatever. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you are working. Maybe your husband's an at-home dad. And I mean, I know couples like this. And 
that you you think that's the only way for you because your ident your work is an important part of your identity or you think and I've heard this you know so many times over the years from women like I could never stay home with my kids like I would be driven up a wall yeah you would be <laughs> you totally would be and moms at home are every day and we find a way to make it work because we're we're trying to take care of our families and so I think part of what I want to talk about is that that kind of manufactured conflict that our culture kind of makes up in my opinion and it's easy we fall prey to it easily like I said because we're vulnerable because we're insecure a lot of the times and we want to be kind of convincing ourselves that our way is the perfect way, the one right way, the way that we're doing it. But I think, you know, with regard to your family life, it's important to focus on what works for you, what your circumstances are right now, what God is calling you to right now, rather than try to make these blanket statements about how every family should be set up, how every family should pay the bills. Because ultimately, that's what this is about, right? I mean, we can all recognize that children benefit greatly from a devoted at-home parent that that kind of at you know person who's present a regular parenting presence in their lives you know that's that's focused on them especially during those early years i mean you know i i'm not going to talk about all the studies and whatever that show that it's important right so we can recognize that but guess what else is important paying the bills is important like <laughs> You gotta pay your bills. You you need a place to stay. You need a place to live. You need food and clothing, and that's also part of an important part of family life. So figuring out how to do those two things, people can be all kinds of creative about it. That you know there isn't one right way to do that. There are some pretty typical ways that people do that. That's great, and one of those might work for you, and it might work for you the entire time that you're raising kids. It also might not. Just, uh, you know, I, I just want to caution people against that idea of making these blanket statements with regard to other people to make your own self feel good, but also with regard to just how your life needs to be set up because life throws us curveballs sometimes. And um, you don't want to be in a position where like, oh my gosh, I never thought I would be a working mom, one of those evil working moms, or I never thought I would be just a mom at home. Like, you know, I think when we put that kind of connotation on what it means to be an at-home mom or what it means to be a working mom, that we're nothing but harmed in the process. And even if life never throws you that curveball, you hurt your relationships with other women in the process of making those kinds of generalizations. Never say never because your role might shift. The other point that I want to make is be a mom first. Like, Okay, so I mean a lot of things by, by that. You can be working full-time outside of your home and your your role as a mom is still more important than that. You still give it priority. Uh, that's That takes precedence over all other things. That's what I'm talking about. Not that, you know, you're, you're skipping work hours all the time and lying to your boss to be able to be home with your, your children, but I'm talking about the way you set up your family life when you are home, the way um, you provide for the kind of care your children need when you're not home, that your your role as a mom is how you identify yourself first and foremost once you are a mom. And that means a lot of different things to different women, but I just want to encourage you to explore what that means for you, giving that role precedence. And that doesn't mean that your marriage isn't coming first. We already talked about that, right? Um, but, you know, John Paul II very famously said, every every woman's vocation is to motherhood. And what did he mean by that? Like, of course, not every woman is biologically bearing children. But what he meant was that we, each of us, have these natural inclinations, these natural gifts, these natural strengths as women. They're female strengths. They're unique to women that make us moms. And no, that doesn't mean biological mothers necessarily. It certainly does include that. But that we're called to play that nurturing role. So, I think it's important inside of your vocation, whatever it looks like, whatever those circumstances look like, maybe you even have grown children and you're starting to feel like, what am I supposed to be now? To focus on what those strengths are and how God's calling you to use them right now. That primary vocation to motherhood, he might be calling you to use them inside of your marriage. He might be calling you to use them outside of your family, outside of your home, in your workplace, to be that source of nurturing love, that one who's compassionate and sensitive, who notices the details of other people's lives. That doesn't mean you're going around and, you know, 
cleaning up everybody's face with spit on your thumb, but it means that you're you're noticing the feelings of other people that were in tune with them in a way that that men aren't naturally that and you know I'm, of course I'm speaking in general terms here, but God made men and women different. We have different strengths and we have different weaknesses. And to recognize what your strengths are as a woman and how those are played out inside of a vocation to motherhood, whatever age or stage of motherhood you're in right now, whether you've ever raised children of your own or not, that we're all called to play that motherly nurturing role inside of our relationships with the people that God has placed in our lives. So putting that in first and foremost priority, regardless of how you're paying the bills, regardless of whether you're earning a paycheck, regardless of whether you're leaving the house every day or not, whatever creative way you're finding to provide for your family as a family, you know, make sure that you're focusing on being a mom first. And the other thing that I mean by that is especially for young moms, and I tell young moms this all the time because I hear from them all the time that, and I get it, like that kind of conflict that we experience interiorly between I need to have a career, I can't give up my professional life, but here I am, I've got this six-week-old baby and I'm trying to figure out what that means. So I always, you know, whatever your working circumstances are when you're, you're first becoming a mom, focus on that. Get comfortable in that role first because that's a tough role to take on. It's a cosmic shift inside of who you are and what your life is going to look like. It's huge and it's stressful and it's challenging. So give yourself the space and the opportunity and the freedom and the permission to explore what that means, to fully embrace what it means for you to be a mom, what it means for you to have this little person in your life that you're caring for, all the good and the bad and the ugly of that. Let yourself fully experience that before you're starting to worry, because this is what we do, you know, you're barely home from the hospital with your baby and you're thinking, what's my career going to look like? How am I going to balance work and this and all these things about what I've done and my accomplishments in the past and my degrees and whatever it is. Um, you know, I hear from women who, who've been in the professional world all the time who becomes moms and that's a very challenging shift. And what's that going to look like? And we tend to want it all figured out immediately which just isn't going to happen. We need to accept that. That's not going to happen. Give yourself that space. Give yourself that time to figure out what it means to be a mom for you right now. Give yourself permission to do that and the time that it takes. You're not going to get it all figured out overnight. And like I said, your role is going to be a shifting thing. Your family circumstances are going to be changing. There's all kinds of factors that you can't even anticipate that are going to come into play. So don't try to think you have to have it all figured out that first, you know, a few months, weeks, even years of motherhood. Let yourself figure it out. And I know this is common. I mean, I've done it myself, like on both sides of this kind of conflict in our brains that I think we mostly set up in our brains. I think about all of my difficulties over the years in how I identify myself and what a waste of time and energy a lot of it has been with regard to, I mean, I still... I still feel funny talking about myself as a working mom and I am employed full time and then some like really and some weeks I really feel it and I feel that pull between work life and family life and although I know I'm blessed to have the opportunities that I have for work it's really not what I thought I was my my family life was going to look like like I have some real interior conflicts with regard to that. And I think every woman experiences that on some level inside of her home life, family life, professional life. Um, you know, and, and maybe not every minute of every day, which certainly I don't. I'm, I'm mostly very balanced and happy with regard to what my work and family life look like. But I think we all experience that. We all have certain moments where we're like, you know, is this, is this what I am? Is this, this my identity? And our motherhood is such an important part of how we identify ourselves and think about ourselves that, of course, that if there's conflict there or if there's confusion there or if you're feeling pulled in different directions, it's going to affect you greatly. So I think it's important to recognize that, be honest about what our feelings are with regard to that. And then, you know, be honest with ourselves and inside of our own home life and family life, there may be situations that need to be addressed. Maybe um, you've always been an at-home mom, but um, you're feeling 
you know, whatever it is, <laughs> maybe your life circumstances have changed and you don't have little tiny kids anymore. And, and maybe it's, it, you want to explore working at least part-time and that would be a cosmic shift for you. That would be a big change. Or, or maybe you're a working mom and you, you've tried to make it work and you just feel totally stressed about it all the time, you know, um, and, and I do want to caution that if you're feeling conflict in any of these areas that, um, you know, be honest with your husband about how you're feeling about it. But then also, it's important to recognize that sometimes you have to get through a hard time. Like I think about that, that first year after I had my first and what a hard time that was. And like I said, I wouldn't necessarily choose that, but a lot of good came out of it. And um, so what was really important was you know, communicating with my husband during that time, not in a blaming way, not in an, you know, angry or resenting way, but being honest about how I felt about it. And so that we both could be looking for a way to change that circumstance because I didn't feel like it was ideal. I didn't think it was the way that we were meant to raise our family in the long term. So, you know, I, on this topic, there's so much more I could say, but I'm going to stop there and encourage you to share with me your own stories, your own conflicts, your own worries and anxieties, or your own trials that you've been through with regard to being at home or being a working mom and what all of that means. The The one last point that I have a note here that I wanted to make was that we are blessed to live in the time that we do because we have more options than ever to make working, to make earning a paycheck while meeting the needs of our families a possibility. And so let, let's all focus there and on the gratitude that we should have for that, for regard to it's never been easier to kind of balance those two shifting roles, those two needs inside of our family lives, however you and your husband and your kids or um, however you and your family do that, meeting the needs of, of children and meeting the needs of your home while also paying those important bills. Anyway, send me an email, danielle at daniellebean.com or go to daniellebean.com and click leave voice feedback. I would love to hear from you with regard to your thoughts on this important and perennial topic. Hey, girlfriends, who are we talking to this week? It's time for an interview. Hey, everyone. I am really happy today because Rebecca Freck is here on Girlfriends. It's been an interview I've been wanting to get. I've been wanting to share Rebecca with you all, and you're probably familiar with her. Rebecca Freck is a wife, a mom of eight. She's a homeschooler, a CrossFit coach, a blogger, managing editor of The Catholic Conspiracy. You can check her out at catholicconspiracy.com forward slash Rebecca Freck, which is F-R-E-C-H. I'll put that link in the show notes for you. Rebecca is also author of Teaching in Your Tierra. Now, Rebecca, tell us the the subtitle of that book because I'm not remembering it and I know it's important. It is. It's a homeschooling book for the rest of us. Yes. Welcome to Girlfriends, Rebecca. I am thrilled that you're here. And um, so let's start with you and your homeschooling book. Tell me what inspired you to write that. Oh my gosh. So when I wrote that book, I had all of these friends. I'd been homeschooling about five years. Mm Mm-hmm. And all of these friends were interested in it because I'd had babies earlier than they had. And they kept coming to me and crying and saying, I've read all of these books and there's no way I can do this. I'm not this perfect mom. I'm putting my children in school. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, well, this is ridiculous, but I'm the unprepared person who never read a single book. I just jumped in. I was like, it's preschool. How hard could it be? Right, right. And, and so I started reading the books that they were reading, and I would be sitting up at night sobbing. I'd be on like chapter five going, I can never do this. I can never be this perfect mom. And my husband was like, you've been homeschooling for five years. What are you talking about? <laughs> and, and so I started really looking at the market, and I said, you know, there isn't a book that's fun and accessible and approachable and funny and that you don't have to be the perfect mom. Right. But it's okay if you're not perfectly organized. It's okay if your children don't always have shoes on when they leave the house or Mm -hmm. that you don't have, you know, organic snacks in your purse or, (laughs) you know, my kids will be like, I'm hungry. And I'm like, here's a cough drop, you know? (laughs) See, it's so important. And that's what I love about you, Rebecca, that you just keep it real in a way, like some, 
some bloggers and some authors say they're keeping it real, but they aren't really. They're just sharing like one little funny story, but the rest of it is all so shiny and perfect that you you get the feeling that that's their real story and that's the standard they're going to hold you to. But you keep it real in a real way, in a funny way, in a way that embraces all the good, the bad, and the ugly that is, you know, about any, any woman's vocation inside of the Catholic Church, inside of family life. Well, and isn't that the way life is, though? It's good, bad, and ugly. That's right. So let's be honest about every one of those parts, right? Right, exactly. And so, I I don't know, I always felt like if I was going to write and if I was going to put my life out there, that I wanted to put my life out there. Because I thought, you know, my children are going to come back, you know, 20 years from now. My grandchildren may be, you know, please, God, may I have many of them. Mm -hmm. Um, Come back and read this someday. And I don't want them to get this, like, Pollyanna picture of who I was. I want them to know I was a real woman who really struggled, um, but who laughed and had, you know, fun along the way. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I always put out there. And I... That's the audience I'm generally writing for, actually, is my children someday when they're grown. I love that. Um, and my, my grandchildren someday when they're grown. And so every year for Christmas, my husband, this is my favorite gift every year, he'll have um, all of the posts from the, the year bound in a book. Oh, how and wonderful. I know. There's a some service that he found that does that. You, I'm sure you could Google blog to book or something and find sure. it. But he has them. And so I have every year that I've ever blogged bound in a hardbound book. Wow. I love that. Yay for your husband. (laughs) I know. And he always says it's the easiest gift ever. He's like, you're always thrilled and, you know. uh, Yeah, it's a gift to you, but also to your kids. It is. It really is a gift to them. And I'll find them sometimes and they'll be flipping through it. And because they're all every now and again, share a picture of my children on my blog and they'll, they'll go back and they'll be like, oh my gosh, I remember that story. And I know when that happened. And, Mm -hmm. uh, so it's kind of a little walk down memory lane for them too. I love that. Yeah. You know, I've never done that with my blog, like, you know, that's so old and just been sitting there, but I really should because I find that sometimes I'll go back looking for an old photo or something and then I'll end up browsing through and sometimes the kids will do it with me and that's fun. It's like, this is our family history. Not all of it, of course, but little snippets from it. And right. it's yeah. really meaningful. And, and to me, it's always surprising to me because I've been blogging almost 10 years mm-hmm. at the woman, the woman I was then 10 years ago I know. and the woman I am now, like the difference in how I myself have matured and grown right. and how, right. I mean, not just my writing because my writing is, is different and I think much more mature now, but how I as a person, how I think about things has really changed over the years. And so it's, it's interesting to me to see the evolution of that. Yeah. And I, it's nice now that my oldest daughter is about to turn 20 mm-hmm. and she'll say or do things that make me cringe. And then I go, no, no, I remember being 20 and stupid. Yeah. Like, you know, I remember that. I remember being irreverent and, and not always as kind to my mother um, as I should have been because mm-hmm. she was at that time the stupidest woman on earth. Right. And now it's my turn to wear that mantle. And I always look at my daughter and go, I know I'm the stupidest woman on earth. I get it. Like, (laughs) I'll just have a cape made. Everybody will know. know, You've already got the tiara, so you need the the sash. I just need a sash and a cape and I'm good. Oh my gosh. That is perfect. And great perspective, especially as our kids grow older. I find that that becomes very valuable. That kind of perspective of remembering what a jerk you were once. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I not so even horrible. meaning to be sometimes. Sometimes it's just, you know, I remember selfish decisions I made when I was a young adult and how they hurt, you know, people that I loved, my mom especially. And I didn't mean bad things by it. it wasn't... Right. You just can't see beyond the end of your nose right. when you're that age. And, no. and you're there's... living in those five minutes, you know. I know. And, and there are so many times since my oldest turned like 14, 15 years old that I've just called my mom and I'll be like, I'm sorry. <laughs> That my apology because I know I did the same thing at 15 and I know how horrible it is. And now I know what the knife in the heart feels like that I used to think you were so dramatic for saying, oh, like, that's just, you know, you've stabbed me in the heart. And I would be like, whatever, mom, yeah. I get it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Finally, payback. So now, now it's our turn to wait until our kids are calling us saying they're sorry, which is probably 20 years down the road. 
<laughs> I know, forever in a day, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, Rebecca, I'm so glad you're here with us. I've been wanting to get you on Girlfriends because I think you have such a valuable and unique perspective and such a great kind of real-life way of approaching things. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your answers to these questions that we ask everyone who comes on Girlfriends. So let's start with a triumph. When, Rebecca, did you ever first feel like you triumphed or feel a sense of achievement or accomplishment in your life? Okay, so I have to give a little backstory. My sure. mother was in a horrible car accident when I was 14 that left her brain damaged. <clears throat> and so I became the mother of our family. So I went from mothering my parents' family to mothering my family. Wow. And, and I just kept taking care of everybody. And sometime around 30, um, I decided I was finally going to do something for myself. And that's something that I did was I ran a marathon. Wow. Uh, yeah. And that's I was, pretty awesome. I, it took me from the time I was 26 until the time I was 30, because every time I would get up to 10 miles in a row, I would get pregnant. <laughs> and Problematic. So, <laughs> so, you know, it, I think when your body is healthier, like everything just works better. Everything mm-hmm. is healthier. Mm-hmm. And so I would just get pregnant and then I would have to stop. And so it took until I was 30, but it took almost four years of training to get there mm-hmm. that I ran a marathon. And um, I had to nurse um, Ella, who's 12 now, was 10 months old at the time. Mm-hmm. And my husband met me at mile 11 and I walked and nursed her from 11 to 12. Oh my gosh. And I handed her back to him pulled my, my sports bra back down and took off running. And, <laughs> I love that image. And, and so I just remember crossing that finish line and thinking, this is the first time in 15 years that I've done something for me. Mm-hmm. It was totally selfish. Nobody else got anything out of it. It was absolutely purely for me. Mm-hmm. And about, about darn time. I mean, about darn time. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, that's funny, as you're describing that, I'm remembering that that image that kind of went viral on Facebook, I don't know, a couple of months ago of, I think a woman was running a half marathon and she was pumping while she was running. And people had, you know, really positive, but also really negative reactions to that. And my only reaction to that was, I don't know where she put the pump. And that seems like it's really uncomfortable to run, not not while you're pumping in the moment, but right. you know, you have to store that on you somewhere. Right. Maybe and someone so, held it for her. Yeah. I was trying to think those logistics out. Too. I don't know. I was like, that just seems really uncomfortable. Somebody just needs to meet you with the baby. <laughs> <laughs> Babies are the best pumps. That's what I always say. They are. They are. And yeah. So, and God bless my husband who has no desire to do anything like run marathons and yet was so supportive that he was willing to meet me at mile 11 See? and then met me every three miles with all of my children. Oh. And it was a long day because I'm slow. Right. You know, I'm a slow plotter. I mean, it took me four hours and 15 minutes to run the marathon, which is really slow. Mm-hmm. And, wow. But he met me every three miles with all of my children to cheer me on. That's amazing. And so he was such a huge support, but I really felt like, you know, this is for me. Mm-hmm. And was that the beginning of your interest in fitness that, you know, now you're a CrossFit coach? Um. Yes and no. I mean, I had always been really fit and I had always, um, I'd done gymnastics and I played uh, varsity soccer when I was in high school on the boys team because there was no girls team. Wow. And um, so I'd always been really, really fit, but that had kind of died off in my 20s because I just didn't feel like I had time for it. Sure. Because I wasn't a priority at that time. You know, Mm -hmm. I I didn't make my own health and, and whatever. And then I found CrossFit in my mid to late 30s. Um, because my, my blood pressure was crazy high and everything was off the charts. And the doctor, who's a really good friend of ours said to me, um, I hope your life insurance is paid up. Oh my gosh. That's a wake up call. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And he said, I'm going to put you on all this blood pressure and heart medication. And I said, or I could start working out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I walked into a CrossFit gym. I had no idea what CrossFit was. Walked in the next day and said, everybody here looks really healthy. Sign me up. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and two years later I became a coach and a year after that I became certified to coach disabled athletes Wow! Uh, wow. because my own daughter is a paraplegic. So that's kind of near and dear to my heart. Of course. So of course. I work with people, um, like returning veterans who've lost limbs, people with birth defects, cerebral palsy, um, just, just about anything that you can imagine. Um, wow. I'm willing to work with them. That's amazing. I love that. And now before we move on to the next question, um, what would you say to a mom who might be listening right now who isn't involved in any kind of fitness, finds the idea of a marathon maybe a little daunting, finds even CrossFit, the idea of CrossFit daunting? CrossFit is daunting. You know? Yeah, no, CrossFit So, is daunting. I mean, what would you say to encourage a mom like that? I would say that 
your health is just as important as your children's health. Mm -hmm. Um, and you don't have to start big. You can start small. You can start walking. You can start getting your heart rate up. Right. But I would encourage her first to go to the doctor because most of us take our children in for well baby visits, but we don't take ourselves in for um, anything other than like our annual pap smear or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most moms I talk to, I say, when was the last time you had your cholesterol checked? And they give me this weird look like I've never had that checked. Mm-hmm. Um, so get a full health panel on yourself and see where you are just so you can see the starting place that you're coming from Mm -hmm. and what you need to improve and then start with small changes because people who make radical changes don't stick with them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You burn out fast. You burn out. You burn out so fast. Yeah. Well, good. Good. I'm glad because I know, I know many moms that I hear from are in that place where they're, they kind of don't know where to start and everything feels like too much. But I, I love that even a CrossFit coach who's run a marathon will say, just go for a walk. Start there, you know. Right. Absolutely. Start small, um, but do it for you. Don't do it for your children. Don't do it for your husband. Mm -hmm. Um, Make a decision that you deserve to be just as healthy as everybody else in your family. Right. No, absolutely true. Absolutely true. And good advice. All right. Well, moving on to our next question. That was a triumph and an awesome triumphant triumph at that. Um, let's, Let's hear about a mistake you once made, Rebecca, either professionally or personally. And what did you learn? Oh, okay. So I had this really horrible, embarrassing story to tell from high school. But then like the more I thought about it, the most recent horrible mistake I made, um, I had a very, very close friend who lived kind of far away. And we would talk every morning on the phone mm-hmm. about our lives. And when my daughter Ella got sick two and a half years ago, it became all consuming in my life. And I became this horrible emotional vampire. Oh, yeah. And Every conversation we had became about me and my family and what was going on with us. And I totally missed what was going on with her family. Oh. And, and she broke off the friendship. And I, I'm, to this day, my heart grieves and I miss her terribly. And yet I absolutely know why she did and she had to mm-hmm. because, I, because I, I recognized that I had become toxic. Right. Because I need, what I needed was a therapist. I didn't need to be sucking the energy out of my friend. I need, I needed, I needed counseling. I needed therapy and, mm-hmm. and didn't recognize it at the time. I see. Yeah. She sent a really long email about why we could no longer be friends and how oh, I had become horrible, selfish, right. I'd become this horrible, selfish person. And, um, and she didn't recognize me anymore and no longer wanted to be friends with me. And, um, at first I was very, very upset. I was like, how dare you, how dare you break up with me in an email, you know, not right, even right. in person or on the phone. But then I thought, but I don't know that I would have heard her mm-hmm. had she called me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the more that I read, I read it several times and I thought, no, she's absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and everything that she's saying was really painful and really true. Ouch. Yeah. And I've sent her an apology and never heard back from her. And that's fine. That's her right. But, you know, every day I get up because I, I coach at 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. And she lives in she lives on the East Coast. So she's up with her children. And it's, you know, I get out of class at 6, 630 and she's making breakfast at 730. And so we would talk every morning. Mm-hmm. And so every morning as I'm leaving the gym at 630, I grab my phone to call her. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, she's not my friend anymore. Ouch. Oh, my gosh, Rebecca. I just. Yeah. Oh, okay. So we need to pray for healing in that relationship, however, however it can happen. Um, but, yeah. I mean, that's an important lesson, though, that, I, I mean, how do you, I mean, I, I love and also don't love that phrase you used, emotional vampire, because I think we all can relate to being that. We also can relate to people in our lives who are that way. And yeah. sometimes someone's going through a crisis like you were and that's sort of a normal response, you know, but, um, to, how do you balance that? How do right. you-, you have to remember that the other people have needs too. Mm-hmm. And if you're not in a place where you can hear, because I can remember thinking to myself as she was telling me about something at one point and thinking, I don't have the energy. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have the energy to deal with your problems because right. mine are so huge and mine were huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet at the moment that I thought that I should have said, okay, I need, I need therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I need counseling. Um, uh, and it wasn't until I got her letter that I went, oh shoot. You know, yeah, so hard. Ugh. Yeah. 
but I, I pray that 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 relationship will be healed because it sounds like you were close at one point and there's potential for you guys um, well, to be friends. And even even if we're not friends again, you know, I just I, my hope is that she forgives me, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, because I certainly like I said, in the, in the instant, I was very angry at her for the way that she had broken off the friendship. Sure. And now I absolutely see that she was correct. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, while there's a part of me that hopes and prays that she would give me a second chance as a friend, it's not something that, um, that I expect or that I need, mm-hmm. you know, it's to me, it's like, okay, I've learned this horrible, painful lesson. Right. And now I have to take that going forward. Yikes. Yeah. You know, as my grandmother used to say to me all the time, um, you know, you have one mouth and two ears, so you can listen twice as much as you talk. Uh huh. Important, and, important advice yeah. from grandma. I love that. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just, I'm fascinated by this topic, though, because I think we do all experience this. And I'm thinking myself of a situation that I was in where I didn't break off a friendship for that reason, but I did take a giant step back because the person honestly did need therapy, you know? Right. Well, <clears throat> and, it- and so I had two really good friends at that time and, and both of them, I was an emotional vampire too. And the one of them broke off the friendship and the other one said to me really honestly, you are in a very dark place and you need counseling. Right. Right. Well, and, well. and so I am, and she and I are still very good friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I'm always grateful that she loved me enough to be honest with me. Mm-hmm say you're in a pit and not unjustifiably so. Right. Um, but you're in a hole and I am not equipped to get you out of it. Mm-hmm. So you need professional help to get out of this hole. And it, and she said to me, she's like, I'm going to throw down an ultimatum. And if you don't get help, we can't be friends. Wow. Let's see. That's, that's really strong friendship there. We're- that is a really strong friendship. And she said, if you get help, it's really hard. It's really painful. And I will walk beside you. Mm-hmm. But you have to get the help. Right. Um, and it was a horrible, deep depression. And, and she was absolutely correct to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so th- th- that's kind of what I've learned from both of them is, you know, not only what I did wrong, but what my, my friend did right, which is you need help. And I'm willing to get help you get help. Right. But I can't be this crutch for you. Right. Yeah. Because those are the trickiest conversations to have, I think. You know, even even me thinking about my relationship with this person that I mentioned that I'm not sure I handled that right. And I have all kinds of sympathy for what she's going through. But at the same time, you know, I think it, it's something that I think all friendships go through because not everybody's in the same place all the time. You know, no. like you've no. got somebody who's going through a divorce or major childhood illness or their own illness or whatever it is. And, you know, well, that's not the person you're gonna be able to talk about like, oh, I, I can't figure out what to make for dinner. I'm so tired of meal planning, you know, like, although, <laughs> although I will say, okay, because, you know, and so for people who don't read my blog, our big crisis was our daughter, Ella, at 10 years old, um, contracted a virus, um, which, uh, attacked the nerves in her legs and she became a paraplegic. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, but it, it took months. I mean, this wasn't like an overnight thing. So we watched her slowly decline. We thought she was dying. It was this, this horrible, horrible time in our lives. And people felt like they couldn't come to me and say, you know, Oh, I don't know what to make for dinner. And I ached for that normal. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted so badly for somebody to tell me how naughty their children had been mm-hmm. in a normal way because I needed to know that normal still existed. I see. Even if it wasn't in my house, I needed to know that there were people who weren't getting up every 30 minutes to make sure their child was, was still breathing. I needed to know there were people who were still stressed about Tuesday night. Do I make spaghetti or do I make tacos? Right. Like right. I needed to know. that that was still going on and that it, the whole world hadn't collapsed into a crisis. Right. Oh, wow. Okay. So I would oh, say wow. if you okay. have a friend who's in the middle of that, I mean, everybody's different, but you might even ask them, Hey, does it bug you that I talk about normal stuff? And I bet most of them are going to say, no, please, please mm-hmm. tell me about the normal stuff. Yeah. And I think that's it right there. Just, talk to your friends, be honest with your friends. And yeah, they might be in a place where they can't hear you like you suspect you would have been with your, your friend who sent you the, the letter. But, yes. you know, at least give them that opportunity to, you know, say, you know, this is tough for me. I don't know how to handle this. I think you might need more help than I can give you. Or um, I, I want I want to be able to talk to you about, 
you know, what my kids did at school or whatever. And, right. and, it, and it's hard. And, and so the thing that, that was hard was because Ella had been a dancer. Mm-hmm. And so when we got to ballet recital season, people were purposely on Facebook blocking me from their ballet recital photos. Oh, my gosh. Because they didn't and you want can understand to, their motivation, of course. I do. They didn't want me to be triggered, which I hate that word. But they didn't want me to be triggered mm-hmm. by um, by their little kids photos. And so here were these children who I've watched go to ballet recitals for the last 10, you know, their pictures for, you know, however many years. And I was like, wait a minute, didn't her kids have a recital this weekend? Where are the pictures? Mm -hmm. And then I would send the messages and they were like, oh, I didn't want you to see it because I didn't want, you know, you'd have to walk in that pain. And I was like, but I love that your daughter still dances just because Mm -hmm. mine can't doesn't mean that yours shouldn't. Right. Right. And, and so I really, it, it was very isolating because people were afraid of hurting me. And so they really shut me out of their lives. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. And I think people do that with all different kinds of grief or all different kinds of pains or struggles that people are going through. They not do. not through a sense of having a bad motivation, like, oh, I can't yeah. deal with that. But just that uncertainty. And, you know, I remember someone once who had lost a child saying, people are like tiptoeing around me to not talk about it. And I just want someone to talk about it because it's almost like it's not real to them if they're not acknowledging it. And that really opened my eyes to it. They're like, don't think you're going to remind me of it and it's going to hurt. Like I am walking around thinking about this 24 hours a day. Like (laughs) you're not going to surprise me with the fact that my daughter's in a wheelchair. I mean, I know I I get it. I see it every day. You know, we lift it in and out of the car and she zips along and she runs over my foot half the time. (laughs) You know, (laughs) So, you know, I'm not surprised by that, you know, right, and, and right. it's funny because people in grocery stores, like kids will go, why does she have wheels? And the parents are like, shh. And, <laughs> and we always the like, wheels. we're always <laughs> like, do you think we don't know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is funny, but I think that is the psychology. And I remember that person telling me that it was really an eye opener for me because I was like, yeah, I think I do do that sometimes. Like you're afraid you're going to remind or, or tell the person something they don't know or it's very strange, or, but or dredge it, that you're going to dredge it up. But, yes, that they're living with it. It's their reality. Right, so it, this is reality it. to us. And, and for us now, here we are two and a half years later and it's no longer a sore topic. It's just life. Right. And, you know, like I said, I became a, a, an adaptive CrossFit coach. She does all kinds of amazing things and gets to travel all over the world, mm-hmm. um, doing sports in her wheelchair. And, and to us, it's, I don't want to say it's a joyful thing, but it's just a normal part of our lives. And so it's always funny to us when people are afraid to, to, um, we know, and it's just like, this is normal to us. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's not, this is a taboo thing to us. The fact that she's in a chair, the fact that she does the things that she does is totally normal. Mm -hmm. And we would, we always say we would rather people ask us questions and bring it up than, um, to look the other way and pretend it wasn't there. Right. Right. It's not like you can't see the wheelchair, you know? (laughs) I know. I know. Especially they're all over my house. Nobody tells you when your kid becomes paralyzed, how many chairs you're going to end up with in your house. Oh, is that right? Well, because there's one for like everything. So we have her daily chair and then we have her skating chair and we have her basketball chair and her desk chair. And I mean, it's like I have a parking lot in my front room um, because there's all and then her friends come over and her friends who are in chairs, you know, like there's always chairs all over my house. And I'm like, I, I ne- like this was the I never anticipated. It right. This isn't I didn't what think, you envisioned. I didn't think there were going to be wheels all over my house, but <laughs> there are. And it's and it's fun. And and it's funny because the moment she gets out of like her basketball chair, which is crazy fast mm-hmm. uh, because of the way it's built, it goes so fast. There's always some child from my house in it. Oh, um, and it's the, yeah, they play in it. They race through my house and we have like this big loop through the kitchen. And so everybody will race around this loop. And the first thing small children do when they come over to our house to visit is hop in a chair and their parents <laughs> always freak out. And I'm like, no, no, it's totally okay. Let them drive around. It's cool. I actually know? think that's a great way for, for kids to begin to feel comfortable with, with kids who have disabilities that you know, kind of experience that a little bit. Sit in a chair, see how it is getting around. Right. And it's fun. I mean, they think it's going to be hard and, and it's fun. It's like a scooter or something. Right. Well, we went to, she and I went and talked to an American Heritage Girls troop last um, fall Mm -hmm. um, about what is it like to live in a wheelchair. And um, it was funny because all these girls were zipping around in her chairs. And at the end, one of the leaders said something, you know, 
I think she had really good intentions. She was kind of trying to say, like, aren't you grateful for the life that you have, that you don't have to have a chair? And it was pretty unanimous among the eight-year-olds we had talked to that, no, they were all pretty jealous. That <laughs> land. Like, they didn't think that this was a bad thing at all. That is awesome. <laughs> and I love that. Fun. love that you guys um, are sharing that together with, with young people. Yeah, it, it's fun. And we, we go and we talk to, to um, scouting groups and, and, like, Sunday schools and anybody who invites us. Um, we'll pretty much go and, and talk and say, this is this is what it's like to be in a chair. And this is how to talk to people in a chair. And, um, you know, so we, we really want them to see that it's really a, a pretty normal life because mm-hmm. the more people see her as normal, the better her life is going to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Oh, God bless you. And God bless Ella. I think that's the best. I love that. And so people can read about that at CatholicConspiracy.com, right? I know you've got a bunch of blog posts. About- I write about her all the time. And her, um, I'll be posting Halloween pictures. We're going to a Halloween party tonight. Nice. Um, and, and her Halloween costumes are generally hilarious. Okay, um, can't wait. Last year, she was the handicapped parking guy. <laughs> so... You know, the little symbol from the grocery store. That is so, so funny. Yeah, and this year it's even better, and, and she really has a great um, sense of humor about it. And the funny, you know, it's funny to watch people because they don't know whether to be amused or horrified. Um, <laughs> Just go with laughter. That's always a good bet. Well, it didn't. She entered a costume contest last year, and it wasn't until later that we realized that they couldn't figure out if she was a paraplegic or an able bodied person. Oh, being so the handicapped parking guy. So, like. Fun. Right. So like half the people in the audience laughed and the other half, it was like crickets. Oh my and I was like, oh, like we should have made, this <laughs> should have made that clear. <laughs> All right. Well, we're looking forward to Ella's costume this year. So be checking that out at CatholicConspiracy.com. Well, Rebecca, we're almost out of time, but I want to make sure we get your lightning round in. Okay. We just take everyone who comes on and just for 60 seconds, just ask some fun, fast questions and get to know okay. you a little bit better. Right. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. This is Rebecca Frex, lightning round on the Girlfriends podcast. Okay. Rebecca, what is your favorite way to hang out and connect with friends and family? Um, in person over pizza. Nice. Okay. When you get some time alone, however rare that might be, what guilty pleasure do you indulge in? A hot bubble bath. Oh, beautiful. All right. What was the last Netflix that you watched? And was it thumbs up or thumbs down? Um, Jane the Virgin and thumbs up. Oh, I haven't heard of that. All right, checking that out. Um, what's your favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. And your favorite class in high school? Art. Nice. Coffee or tea? Tea. Twitter or Facebook? Facebook. Okay. And what has surprised you most about being a mom to a child with special needs? How fun it is. Yeah, you're just talking about the wheelchairs. <laughs> that is the best. Okay, last one, and it's a little bit of a tough one. What is your favorite Jesus miracle in the Gospels? Oh, when he turns the water into wine. Yeah. Me too. Yay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Great job. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> that's a miracle. I would, like, if I could have a superpower, could I turn water into wine? Like, that's all I really want in life. I know. You know, and I feel so affirmed by that miracle. I know. <laughs> Not well, that everybody needs to drink wine, but I really enjoy drinking wine. And Well, yes. And I love that his mother's a little bit bossy. Yeah. She's like, um, you can do this. Now. You know, because we have this picture of her as like really meek and mild. And oh. she's like, um, no, get over here and make the wine. And he's I, like, yeah. well, he's I, like, no. I love it. I love Mary in that scene. She is so great. And and I love the fact that she's embracing that role that so many of us play, which is the behind the scenes organizer of all things, you know, like this person can do this. It's not like she was doing the miracle, but she knew who could and how to get it done. So that's right. That's Mary. (laughs) I I love a bossy mama. (laughs) And you are an awesome bossy mama, Rebecca. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us here. Now, before we have to go, though, I want to give you a chance to give a shout out to what are you working on now, whether it's personally or professionally? And like, what are you excited about right now? Um, I'm actually working on a book on the importance of moms taking care of themselves. Nice. Oh, well, that theme definitely has come through in what you've shared here today. So I can't wait to read that. So keep us posted on that. But thank you for the role model that you are for women in all stages of life, for moms of children with special needs, but also later in life moms and moms of large families and homeschoolers. I mean, you just set such a good example of that positivity, that can-do attitude. It's so inspiring to me and so encouraging. So I I really 
want to thank you for sharing that and the little bit that you were able to share with us here today. Oh, well, thank you. You know, this is your only life. You can laugh, you can cry. It's up to you. (laughs) That's very important advice. I like that. So take that advice, you guys. And God bless you, Rebecca. Thanks for taking the time. God bless you too. Thanks, Danielle. Hi, Danielle. This is Sam Fatsinger. I finally got the app so I could talk to you in your love language. I just got back from the gym listening to Girlfriends, number 44. Haven't missed one yet, and I just wanted to thank you for being out there to support women, and now my daughter, who's pregnant with her second, gets to listen to you. So keep up the good work, and I like sharing you with my girlfriends. So God bless. Thank you so much, Sam. I've known Sam online for many years, and um, I've always admired her family and all that she shares online. So really nice to hear from you in that way, Sam. And I love hearing that Girlfriends is multi-generational, because you know what? That's something I think about sometimes when I'm sharing this way or through my blog or whatever it is, whatever kind of communication that you're putting out there these days that's kind of preserved. I like to think about next generations, our own kids and our grandkids being able to access that that kind of communication, whether it's reading an old blog post from great grandma or, you know, even just for me, when I was first a mom, I would have loved to be able to read even just a little bit of something that my mom shared in her early motherhood, some sort of challenge that she had and, um, you know, kind of see the the ways in which things stay the same and the ways in which things have changed, but those ultimate things that are most important, especially with the topics we talked about today with regard to working women, the, the ways in which those struggles and those challenges and those kinds of triumphs are the same. So, Anyway, thanks for the reminder of being multi-generational. Thank you for listening to every episode. I'm so flattered by that and uh, blessed by your sharing it. Now, next up, I'm going to share a little bit of feedback from, okay, this is a momentous historic occasion here at Girlfriends because we are going to, for the first time, hear a male voice on the Girlfriends podcast. Yes, I told you about David, who isn't afraid to say that he's a girlfriend's listener. He supports us through Patreon. We're so grateful to him for all that he shares and the feedback he's given us through email before. But this week, he left us voice feedback, so we all get to hear from David in person. Here we go. Hi, Danielle. This is David Novachevsky, um, the 40-year-old father uh, whose favorite podcasts happen to be girlfriends. Uh, wonderful episode um, on counting your blessings. Uh, one thing that I have found uh, has happened to me is, especially at Mass, uh, after I receive Holy Communion, um, just thinking in terms of giving thanks for all the many blessings in my life, I use that as a time to just kind of make a litany of people and things, um, you know, especially over the last week. Um, that, you know, have, uh, that I want to thank God for. And, um, you know, oftentimes it's something that I haven't thought about at all until that point in time. So I, I find that to be a really, uh, graced time to recall the many blessings. Um, but I did also want to take a minute just to thank you for the wonderful, um, ministry you've created with this podcast. There's a couple of other podcasts that I listen to in which a similar phenomenon has happened. I think as people get a little more, um, isolated in life. Um, I think these podcasts are a good way in which people can find um, community uh, in the midst of, you know, uh, their various and sundry duties. Not that it replaces uh, personal touch, but I, I know in my instance, it's it's forced me back out into actual real communities, um, you know, communities of runners, communities of Catholics, um, in, in terms of being there. But I know um, sometimes it's hard with, you know, schedules and overscheduling and, and battling all those types of things, um, where, um, I know it's nice when people can plug in and, and know that, um, you know, there's somebody, um, that they can connect with, uh, even if it's on, um, you know, by means of a podcast. So keep up the good work and don't give up. And, um, I, I thank you personally for all of your work. Uh, that's all. Take care. Bye. 
Thank you so much for that, David. And thanks for all the ways that you support the podcast here and the encouragement that you've offered me to continue doing it. I really love what you shared about podcasts becoming a community of sorts. Of course, that doesn't replace in real life friendships and communities, but I think it's a great way for us to kind of share ideas that, you know, especially when people take that extra step to leave voice feedback like Sam and David did this week, that we can kind of have a back and forth. And I hear from people in emails all the time, I'm not able to share all of those. Sometimes they ask me to keep them private. But I find that the more that you put yourself out there and that you share, that people appreciate that and they can connect with it. So they're, you know, sometimes all we need to know is that somebody out there is experiencing similar challenges, similar things, especially if we're going through something difficult. And to kind of share that perspective and know that we we come from a place of shared values and to apply that to challenging circumstances sometimes. And, you know, we can pray for one another. I pray for the people who listen to this podcast every week, and I hope that you too can pray for this community. And along those lines of um, sort of sharing and becoming a community, I've been thinking about possibly starting a close Facebook group for people who listen to Girlfriends. I have a Girlfriends podcast Facebook page, but it's just one more thing for me to update, and I don't tend to do that. So um, I tend to do everything through my uh, professional page, the Danielle Bean author page on Facebook. I just can't you know, handle all the multiple places. But I kind of thought a group would allow you all to interact with each other. If it was a closed group, it could be kind of a safe place you know, as safe as online gets to share. Because in a closed Facebook group, I belong to a few online, your your other friends on Facebook don't see what you post there unless they are a part of the group. So anyway, let me know what you think of that idea. And I could pursue possibly doing that because mostly I want to give all of you guys access to each other because we have a lot to gain from, and I've said this for years, that, that women need the kind of support and encouragement we can only get from one another and David too, um, but that we, we need that. We kind of, we crave that and we're uniquely gifted to support and affirm one another inside of our vocations. And one way we can do that is by connecting online. I kind of miss the good old days where there were forums and then blogs and people connected really in a very personal way. But I'm hoping maybe we can come up with a way to uh, kind of recreate that and make a, a sort of online community where you might have access to one another. Anyway, let me know what you think of that idea and I could explore what the options are. If you have an idea for a way to do it um, other than a closed Facebook group, let me know that too. You can always give me your feedback. You can do it through the Voxer app like David did. Um, Voxer is a cool app that you can download it onto your phone and then you just click a button and you can connect right with me. The link is in the show notes at daniellebean.com to connect to my account and then you're able to just leave me a voicemail feedback as easy as that or go to daniellebean.com, click leave voice feedback or leave voicemail, whatever that little tab says on the right hand side there. And that's easy through SpeakPipe. I think you can leave up to 90 seconds that that way. And that's what Sam did. Or you can do a recording on your phone and just email it to me at danielle at daniellebean.com. I would love to add your voice to a future podcast. And now we are over time. So it's time to say goodbye for another week. But not before I tell you thank you. I want to thank you for leaving your reviews and your ratings and for subscribing on iTunes. It's really important to me that you do that. And thank you for your emails and your voice messages. Thank you for sharing episodes of Girlfriends on social media. I've been seeing some of you do that each week. And that's so encouraging, especially when you encourage others to subscribe and check out the podcast. Thank you for supporting the production of this show financially through your pledges at patreon.com. But even more important than all of that, thank you for just being here. It means so much to me that you show up week after week and entrust me with some of your precious time. Your presence here is so meaningful to me. So thank you for that. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a Danielle Bean production. Know your worth. Find your joy.